all instructions that are given to us in the suttas, in the discourses, pretty much point back to the body. This physical body this experience of living. Which take place, takes place here in this present moment. It doesn't play, take place in the future. It doesn't take place in the past. It's relevant, it's present, it is involved with the living experience. And essentially the Dhamma appears and disappears in the present moment within the person's heart. An example of this we can see in the way feelings come up thoughts, sensations, concepts, consciousness or sense awareness. They appear and they disappear. They appear, they disappear. Where, when? In the present. The loudest place where this can be seen, experienced, is within the body. So the body becomes the foundation where everything coalesces, comes together. The body is like the grounding. It's like if you're working with electricity, for example, there's the hot wire and there's also the grounding wire, the thing that needs to be grounding in order for electricity to really do its thing. To be functioning. So the body allows us to become engaged with life. And the Dhamma is always about engagement. Anyhow, it is engaged. And the best tool for this the Buddha gave us is the four Satipatthanas. Kāyānupassana, Vedānupassana, Cittānupassana, and Dhammānupassana. Mindfulness directed to the body in the form of the breath, movement, becoming cognizant of the different positions, whether it's sitting, standing, walking, or laying down, as well as the different functions that take place.
So we experience the reality of life thanks to and with the help of the body. And what is the body? We look at the body as nama rupa, nama rupa. Sometimes they're called uh, mentality and materiality. Rupa part of the body involves the four great elements, earth, fire, water, and air. Of course, earth, not in the sense of actual soil and things, we're talking about the qualities of these great elements, like earth would be uh, the solidity, like the bones, for example, tissues, um, things that at least for a brief moment, if not most of the time, are more tangible. Water is more of the fluidity that is necessary, the liquidy part. For example, saliva, blood. Fire is what also animates, it gives life, it burns, it is heat. So it's the heat nature that is found within the body. So long as the person is alive, the heat element will be there present in them. Even if the person goes all the way to cessation of feeling and perception, that is the one element that will be there intact. Of course, they have many, many manifestations, these four great elements. And then there's the air, which also is hollowness, the spaciousness. You can think of them as the tiny little spaces, nooks and crannies within the body. The spaces, the separations between one organ versus the other. The cavities, the gaseous uh, presence when we eat something, for example. And the body also itself is producing gases. And it also has subtle characteristics such as the functioning of the, of the mind, for example, can also be seen as a manifestation of air sometimes, how freely thoughts move about. So when we say four great elements, we're talking about these and then much more than that. In that sense, we look at the rupa and then the nama comes in. Nama has the other four aggregates. Vedana, the feeling part. Feelings come and then they disappear. Then comes sanya. Sanya are like the labels, the assumptions we have, the thinking we have, concepts. Memories is another way of looking at them. And then we have the sankaras, which are the mental constructions, the conjurings, the things that 
habitually the mind is used to constructing. You give them a memory, guess what? It's going to create Tower of Babylon with it. And then we look at Vijnana, which is the last of these aggregates comprising the fullness of Nama, sense awareness, consciousness. So you can also approach the body's uh, mindfulness of the body in the form of just observing Nama Rupa. When I say just, of course, you can see how these are gateways, these are doorways to understanding the tilatkana, the three characteristics of existence that the Buddha talked about, realized the night of his enlightenment, awakening. And these are anicca, dukkha, anatta, impermanence. Dissatisfaction, suffering, the turmoil that exists within oneself. that we're trying to get rid of, understand, go beyond. And then the non-substantiality, the non-selfness, the non-identification with this me, this is who I am, which he called anatta. There is no soul as such, a separate being that goes unchanged from life to life. So by looking inward at the body, we are opening the gateway we are looking it's a shorter access road if you like to seeing these three characteristics of existence live as they happen so we cannot penetrate the dhamma by mere intellect for example or logic or just reason we come to the reality of experience that is immediate through this body, the immediacy of this experience that takes place now. By keeping mindfulness really close, in close proximity of what is taking place with the body here and now, keeping close, keeping a close eye. So mindfulness then, is crucial. Ajahn Mahabua, for example, one of the 21st, uh, 20th centuries, I believe he also lived into the beginning part of the 21st century, if I'm not mistaken. He would say, we need to sharpen mindfulness. It's like a scalpel, so sharp. And wisdom relies on mindfulness. Oftentimes we forget that wisdom without mindfulness, the consistent presence of mindfulness can become just another form of sanya, another concept, another unlived concept, unlived experience that people attach themselves to. So that is different than Panya. So Panya needs protection, the protection of 
Sanya, of uh, uh, Sati, I'm sorry. And that's another thing which Ajahn Mahabhuva beautifully describes as is like, he says, it's, um, it's like the bank of the river that holds the river in check. If you think of Panya or wisdom or discernment as the flowing of the river, the banks are the things that keep it steady. They show it the way and the river follows. So these two, sati and panya, mindfulness and wisdom, they need to be present when we are directing our attention, our awareness to the body. Otherwise it can be overwhelming. I've had people who came and said, Bhante, even before I became ordained, um, I'm so overwhelmed with so much experience, so much data that's coming in through the senses. That is mindfulness gone off whack. The person has become so enmeshed, so tight and we get headaches. We're too top heavy in one or the other attributes of the five of the four elements. So bringing the attention back to the body, and I'm mentioning this, uh, these principles today because they are highly relevant to the topic today that we're going to be, um, or the conversation that takes place uh, between uh, Lord Buddha and uh, Venerable Sariputta. And what the, how the conversation, the discussion, the discourse in a sense, goes. So through the interaction with life that takes place thanks to the body in a mindful and wise and discerning way, we open the doors to the deathless thanks to the Dhamma. It's available so long as the person is able to bring in the attention that's floating around. It's most of the time when people talk about anicca, dukkha, anatta, it's more of an intellectual affair. But the body reminds us that it is, no, 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 it's very real. And it's happening all the time. So bringing in both of these together as the attention comes down to the body is essential to keep the Dhamma alive. Otherwise, it's just conceptual. The Dhamma is not conceptual. Nibbana is not conceptual. It doesn't take place in the future. It doesn't take place somewhere else. It doesn't take place after death. It takes place in the heart, within oneself. And when the defilements show up, they don't show up somewhere else in the future or in the past. They're showing up here in the present moment. here in the body, as demonstrated in the body, the functionings of the body. So 
moving away from um, the mind, just conceptually bringing it here, is also taking the power away from the deceitful kileshas. Kileshas are the defilements. So we're stripping the power that we've given again and again and again to the kileshas, such as kileshas like to, 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 to label things, to give us a relationship with the outside world, meaning cutting us off from the body. Kileshas are the ones who say, I like this. Oh, I don't like that. This is beautiful. That is ugly. Oh, we're going to keep the ugly away from us. I don't want to have anything to do with this. And sometimes they can come across as also Dhamma even in the disguise of Dhamma, but they're, they're just Kileshas. It's a counterfeit Dhamma, if you will. It's not the real Dhamma. But how do we know? We need to bring it into the reality that is taking place in the present moment within the body. See, your breath never lies. The body never lies. But oftentimes we are hovering in the territory of Sanya. We're disassociated from Sati. Sati is not there to see what's really happening to the breath, for example. So, here we have um, Venerable Sariputta being, if you like, the protagonist of this story. where you have the Sangha coming out of the rains retreat, which is a three month period. And at the end of the retreat, so the, the Sangha stays uh, in one location. So they, it's, it's, it's meant to have the monastics practice diligently. So they don't go off to go to uh, Pindapada or, or, or elsewhere to teach. Usually the people are the ones who come, the food is brought to them. And um, at the end of the, um, um, of the rains retreat, there are certain practices that monastics do like the Vinaya recitations and things. But at the end of that, we have Venerable Sariputta approaching Lord Buddha and um, and asking if he could go off into the countryside um, and um, do some walking, in a sense. Uh, walking, and uh, how we see that is they would go away um, on Pindapala with their bowls, out of robe, uh, um, and they would be gone for a few weeks or months or more, um, going from village to village. But in the case of a uh, chief disciple like Venerable Sariputta, that would also mean that he had uh, many, many students with him, accompanying him. So he wouldn't be going off by himself unless he chose to. But in this case, 
he is taking his leave along with his monas his monks, his disciples um, from the Buddha. And what happens is there is, uh, there is the tradition where Venerable Sariputta approaches Lord Buddha and, and after paying homage to him, he says, Lord, this is my plan. This is what I am um, requesting, uh, if I may be allowed to do. And um, the teacher says, yes, do as you see fit. That's convenient for you. And then the tradition goes something like, um, he being the teacher of his own monastics, of his own monk students, he would recite their names, just very like, uh, who will be accompanying me type of a thing. So he says, uh, Bhante, uh, these are the following monks that will be accompanying, joining me. And he would just point name, I mean, um, you know, highlight or just their family name or their first name, etc. One monk, for whatever reason, Venerable Sariputta forgets to mention his name. And you have to understand uh, the, the number of Sangha members sitting there around the Buddha. And um, people are people. So there's everyone who's, who's, you know, who has not become an Arahant, shall we say is vying for Lord Buddha's attention or attention, period. And here is the chief disciple, the second in wisdom to Lord Buddha. So obviously that's a big deal. And the attention and the aura around Venerable Sariputta is pretty massive uh, among the monastics. So there's one particular monk who apparently remains nameless. We don't know his name. He comes and complains to Lord Buddha right after Venerable Sariputta and his, uh, his group of monks leave. He was supposed to also be in the group, by the way. But before, because his name gets to be omitted, he feels, and other issues apparently were also brewing. I, we can look at it uh, in a psychology, uh, uh, from the psychological standpoint or the social standpoint frustrations and all that and the jealousy so these things urge him to kind of stay behind and go straight to the buddha so let us jump into the sutta and again when questions come up i uh, request that we keep them at the end if possible unless it's extremely urgent for some reason so let us start see hanada sutta the lions roar at one time, the Blessed One was abiding in the monastery offered by Anatta Pindika at Jeta's Grove in the city of Savati. Then the Venerable Sariputta approached the Blessed One and after paying homage to him, sat to one side and said, Bhante, I have completed the rains retreat in Savati and I would like to go to the countryside on a tour. Sariputta, you may do what you think is suitable, replied the Blessed One. Then the Venerable Sariputta, rising from his seat and after paying homage and circumambulating the Blessed One, 
by keeping him on his right side, went away. Soon after the Venerable Sariputta had gone, a certain bhikkhu said to the Blessed One, Bhante, Venerable Sariputta offended me by hitting me and although he hurt me, he went off to the countryside on a tour without even offering me an apology for what he did. So basically the commentators tell us that um, the edge of the rope, as you know, you, you, you can imagine that with there's so many monks sitting together um, and so many monks also bowing to Lord Buddha before they leave at that moment, uh, one of the monks, this, this particular monk, who's accusing, um, uh, complaining to Lord Buddha about Venabhasariputta, apparently the edge of um, the, the hem, perhaps, of the robe accidentally rubbed against his face. So he takes it to, you know, several octaves uh, uh, higher, and he goes to Lord Buddha and says, he struck me in the face. That's what, you know, they, they go deeper into it in the commentators, uh, commentaries. So he struck me and he never offered me, a, a, you know, an apology. And instead, he just took off and went off. So I'm here sitting here, you know, I refuse to go with him because, you know, I, I, I'm offended. So obviously, he's not, you know, qualified to be a chief disciple type of a thing. All these things are happening. And this is uh, always an opportunity for Lord Buddha, it seems, from going through the suttas and seeing incidents, although rare, but when they do occur, Lord Buddha does not miss a beat in calling over his chief disciple or an arahant and, and says to a monk, please go tell him that the teacher calls you. Uh, not that he doubts necessarily their innocence, but simply because of the opportunity that this is creating for uh, a further teaching to be developed and also to enhance the faith and the confidence of the Sangha members. Because we have to remember, not everyone was uh, an Arya Savaka, not everyone was a noble disciple there. Not everyone was an Arahant or an Anagami or even had, had the right view. But they were monks. Sometimes monks were many, many vassas. So the Buddha being the teacher that he was, he would allow his students to come to the forefront and teach. Uh, and, and also to create that cohesion and union within the Sangha so it doesn't fall apart. So these are some of the elements that are taking place in the background. Let's go, continue. Then the Blessed One addressed a certain bhikkhu. Come, bhikkhu, go to Sariputta, and in my name say to him, Friend Sariputta, the teacher calls you. And that bhikkhu, having consented to deliver the message, went and caught up to the Venerable Sariputta and said, Friend Sariputta, the teacher calls you. 
and the Venerable Sariputta started heading back in order to see the Blessed One. Meanwhile, both Venerable Mahamogallana and Venerable Ananda were going from door to door with keys to the various monastic quarters, calling all bhikkhus to gather at the meeting hall, saying, Venerable ones, come right away. Come quickly, venerables. The venerable Sariputta will roar his lion's roar in the presence of the Blessed One. Come quickly. Then, this is a big deal, as you can tell. Um, the Buddha is known to give the lion's roar, and the lion's roar has to do with the declaration. It's a declaration of the authenticity, the oneness of the person's character with right view, at the very least, even if they're not an arahant. And the Buddha gave legitimacy also to all his noble disciples who have seen the truth with the eye of Dhamma, with right view. When the moment is there, and it doesn't happen all the time, but when it is there to speak from the heart, the truth that is the Dhamma. And it's a one voice. You can, it's indistinguishable from the voice of Lord Buddha. That's why it's a lion's roar. So in these incidents, in these events, when they do take place, there's a tremendous um, reaffirmation of the Dhamma. So it kind of reboots the power of Dhamma. It strengthens its legitimacy, no matter the time period. So Venerables Ananda and Mahamogalana, I you can almost feel like the Buddha also like looked at uh, these two uh, monks, Venerable Mahamogalana and Ananda is like, okay, go tell everyone, this is gonna be big. And obviously, Venerable Mahamogallana would, would, would also know with his mind, because he was the second only to the Buddha in his psychic abilities. So the thoughts of other beings were never obscure to him. So he would see everyone's thoughts if he wanted to. So he knew what was happening. So they go around, and the keys were necessary. They're like the master keys in the uh, in the monastery in Savati uh, in, in Anathapindika's monastery it's pretty huge and so it was very sophisticated at, uh, you know it was the peak of uh, you know how they would construct monasteries in those days so um, and sometimes bhikkhus would have left um, or they're there in the hall or there's there for some reason in the room and they didn't want to have such bhikkhus miss out on this opportunity of hearing Venerable Sariputta give his lion's roar, which would be very rare. So, and it would be remembered for many, many years. And who knows, maybe by hearing, by listening rather to the Venerable give his lion's roar, individuals could even taste the truth that is the Dhamma by experiencing Nibbana.
That's why in the beginning of our sit today, I mentioned the importance of just listening to the desana, not with the mind, not with the uh, rational mind or uh, like some intellectual endeavor, but listening to it through the heart, allowing, allowing the words that we're listening to, to seep in. Because yes, Nibbana can even take place when the mind is ready and is not holding on to anything and just fully there. Many people have attained Sotapanna stage, Sakadagami stage, Anagami stage, even Arahantship by merely listening, not just hearing, listening to the Dhamma. So that's another reason why they were kind of like pulling everybody, just, you know, lassoing them to the hall. So let's continue. The Venerable Sariputta approached the Blessed One and after paying homage to him, sat to one side. Once seated, the Blessed One said, Sariputta, one of your companions in the holy life has made an accusation against you. He states that you offended him by hitting and hurting him and then going off to the countryside on a tour without offering him an apology. Bhante, if it were to be someone who had not established himself in the mindfulness of the body, then such a person could offend the companion in the holy life by hitting and hurting him and going off to the countryside on a tour without offering him an apology. Bhante, people keep throwing into the earth all things that are pure and impure, clean and dirty, whether it be feces, urine, saliva, pus, or blood, but the earth accepts them all without shrinking away, nor becoming humiliated or disgusted by any of it. In the same manner, Bhante, I live with an accepting heart that is the same as the earth's, abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility and without ill will. Bhante, if I were not established in the mindfulness of the body, then I would have offended a companion in the holy life by hitting and hurting him and going off to the countryside on a tour without offering him an apology. Bhante, if it were to be someone who had not established himself in the mindfulness of the body, then such a person could offend a companion in the holy life by hitting and hurting him and going off to the countryside on a tour without offering him an apology. Bhante, people keep washing things in water, all things that are pure and impure, clean and dirty, whether it be feces, urine, saliva, pus, or blood. But water accepts and washes them all without shrinking away, nor becoming humiliated or disgusted by any of it. In the same manner, Bhante, I live with an accepting heart that is the same as water, abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility and without ill will. Bhante, 
If I were not established in the mindfulness of the body, then I would have offended a companion in the holy life by hitting and hurting him and going off to the countryside on a tour without offering him an apology. Bhante, if it were to be someone who had not established himself in the mindfulness of the body, then such a person could offend a companion in the holy life by hitting and hurting him and going off to the countryside on a tour without offering him an apology. Bhante, people keep burning in fire all things that are pure and impure, clean and dirty, whether it be feces, urine, saliva, pus, or blood. But fire accepts and burns them all without shrinking away nor becoming humiliated or disgusted by any of it. In the same manner, Bhante, I live with an accepting heart that is the same as fire, abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility and without ill will. Here we see a series of actually nine declarations. The, uh, the Venerable Sariputta uses nine different references. Uh, in this case, he used the earth, Mother Earth. It's so expansive. And, um, you know, water, and then fire. And we're going to see air as well. And, um, but as he's describing, if you recall earlier, when I was mentioning the four great elements that can be seen within the body, in the form of rupa and his emphasis on if if i were to be someone who was not established in the mindfulness of the body meaning he was living in his head in concepts in thoughts in assumptions therefore not present then it would be possible for such a ignorant person to keep hitting people and not become aware of it and go off on his own so the immediacy of living experience is together with consistent presence of mindfulness, which is crowned by wisdom all throughout. But at the same time, we're seeing here a human element where a person is being accused, apparently unjustly, and in the case of Venerable Sariputta, definitely unjustly, uh, given his, re, uh, his reputation as being so forbearing, so forgiving. So he is declaring these things, but also declaring his innocence, but at the same time, allowing the listeners to reconnect back to the body and its importance, because sometimes a person might look at, for example, the anapanasati, the breath meditation with, with you know, with some, um, well, it's not that big of a deal type of a thing, or awareness of the body is not that, you know, something to write home about, but it is very powerful. It can take one straight to Nibbana, to Arahantship, but it can also anchor oneself in the body in the living experience and in one's connection with the world in the present moment and other people in our interactions. 
so uh, again, if there are questions, please, um, you know, if you can jot them down so we can address them once uh, these are uh, done. Bhante, if I were not establishing the mindfulness of the body, then I would have offended a companion in the holy life by hitting and hurting him and going off to the countryside on a tour without offering him an apology. Bhante, if it were to be someone who had not established himself in the mindfulness of the body, then such a person could offend a companion in the holy life by hitting and hurting him and going off to the countryside on a tour without offering him an apology. Bhante, people keep throwing into the air all things that are pure and impure, clean and dirty, whether it be feces, urine, saliva, pus, or blood. But the air accepts and diffuses them by taking them all away without shrinking away, nor becoming humiliated or disgusted by any of it. In the same manner, Bhante, I live with an accepting heart that is the same as air, abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility and without ill will. Bhante, if I were not established in the mindfulness of the body, then I would have offended a companion in the holy life by hitting and hurting him and going off to the countryside on a tour without offering him an apology. Bhante, if it were to be someone who had not established himself in the mindfulness of the body, then such a person could offend a companion in the holy life by hitting and hurting him and going off to the countryside on a tour without offering him an apology. Bhante, people use a cleaning rag to wipe all things that are pure and impure, clean and dirty, whether it be feces, urine, saliva, pus, or blood. But the cleaning rag accepts and wipes them all away without shrinking away, nor becoming humiliated or disgusted by any of it. In the same manner, Bhante, I live with an accepting heart that is the same as the cleaning rag, abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility and without ill will. Bhante, if I were not established in the mindfulness of the body, then I would have offended a companion in the holy life by hitting and hurting him and going off to the countryside on a tour without offering him an apology. Bhante, if it were to be someone who had not established himself in the mindfulness of the body, then such a person could have offended a companion in the holy life by hitting and hurting him and going off to the countryside on a tour without offering him an apology. Bhante, just as an outcast boy or girl in torn clothes with the begging basin in hand would enter into a village or town with a humble mind. In the same manner, Bhante, I live with an accepting heart that is the same 
as an outcast boy or girl in torn clothes with the begging basin in hand that would enter a village or town with a humble mind, abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility and without ill will. Bhante, if I were not established in the mindfulness of the body, then I would have offended a companion in the holy life by hitting and hurting him and going off to the countryside on a tour without offering him an apology. Bhante, if it were to be someone who had not established himself in the mindfulness of the body, then such a person could offend a companion in the holy life by hitting and hurting him and going off to the countryside on a tour without offering him an apology. Bhante, just like a domesticated and tamed bull devoted to people with its horns cut off, would wander from street to street and from square to square without hurting anyone, whether with its feet or horns. In the same manner, Bhante, I live with an accepting heart that is the same as the domesticated bull devoted to people with its horns cut off, wandering from street to street and from square to square, without hurting anyone, whether with its feet or horns, abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility and without ill will. Bhante, if I were not established in the mindfulness of the body, then I would have offended a companion in the holy life by hitting and hurting him and going off to the countryside on a tour without offering him an apology. Bhante, if it were to be someone who had not established himself in the mindfulness of the body, then such a person could offend a companion in the holy life by hitting and hurting him and going off to the countryside on a tour without offering him an apology. Bhante, just like a young and youthful woman or a man who enjoys adornments, who after cleaning oneself and bathing from head to toe, would shrink away and become humiliated and disgusted if someone were to place the festering carcass of a dead dog or a dead snake around their neck. In the same manner, Bhante, I live with a heart that shrinks away and becomes humiliated and disgusted by this putrid physical body. Bhante, if I were not established in the mindfulness of the body, then I would have offended a companion in the holy life by hitting and hurting him and going off to the countryside on a tour without offering him an apology. If you just listen to this sutta once or, or just know this sutta, you get a very powerful and concise um, introduction or an understanding of the Dhamma with its sila, samadhi, and panya portions, with its focus on virtue, discipline, morality, cultivation of mind, and of wisdom. Here in these examples, with these repetitions, 
that drive the point home. We see how Venerable Sariputta is breaking down the various different techniques of the application of mindfulness and observation of the physical body as a means, as a tool to attain Nibbana. It also is talking about what we were saying earlier about the three characteristics of existence being ever present within, not outside necessarily, but definitely within the body. It's unavoidable, inescapable, such as the image of the young uh, boy or uh, girl when, um, or woman or man who had just took a nice shower and they're so clean and somebody comes in and puts a dead body of, 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 a, of, a, of a snake or a dog, a carcass, a festering. Of course, it's, it's, it's deplorable. We can't even uh, um, mentally accept the image of that in our mind, let alone do it. So when the person has developed the type of practice that looks at the body in that fashion, then the body becomes a burden. So they don't have anything to um, really um, be attracted to within the body. There are other times where as Venerable Sariputta is getting older and he's having a discussion with fellow um, noble disciples and he says, everything is leaking. This body is leaking whether it's the sweat glands, whether it's urine, whether it's, you know, passing gas, all these things, wounds that are not healing as fast or ever, things falling apart. So all of these things can be used as a method to bring mindfulness home and develop wisdom. These two things are absolutely essential to attain Nibbana. You cannot attain without these two. It's impossible. So here we have Venerable Sariputta go with these nine, and this is from the Book of Nines. So that's how it is arranged. So um, you see, and, and the commentary, uh, commentary also says that with each of these declarations, of, of a lion's roar, the earth shook. People felt it, they say. And the commentary, uh, commentaries do say that. Uh, I don't know if that's the case, uh, but it, you can imagine, even listening or, or reading these uh, paragraphs, one can not help but feel somewhat shaken with their truthfulness and genuineness, knowing the kind of life that Venerable Sariputta had lived. Let's continue. Bhante. If it were to be someone who had not established himself in the mindfulness of the body, then such a person could offend a companion in the holy life by hitting and hurting him and going off to the countryside on a tour without offering him an apology. Bhante, just like someone using a leaky and cracked frying pan where the boiling oil keeps leaking and dripping out in the same manner, Bunte, 
I live in this leaky and cracked physical body that keeps dripping and leaking. Bhante, if I were not established in the mindfulness of the body, then I would have offended a companion in the holy life by hitting and hurting him and going off to the countryside on a tour without offering him an apology. Then that accusing bhikkhu got up from his seat and by arranging his robe on one shoulder, placed his head at the blessed one's feet and said, blessed Lord, please forgive me for my transgression in that I accused the Venerable Sariputta baselessly using a false accusation as I slandered against him, owing to my hateful foolishness and delusion. Bhante, may the blessed Lord please forgive me for my transgression for the sake of future restraint. Bhikkhu, indeed you have committed a transgression here as you baselessly accused and slandered the Venerable Sariputta, owing to your hateful foolishness and delusion. But as you see your fault and ask for forgiveness by making amends for it, according to the Dhamma, we accept your forgiveness for this transgression. After all, Bhikkhu, in the Noble One's discipline, it is seen as growth when someone sees their transgression as a fault and ask for pardon by making amends for it according to the Dhamma for the sake of future restraint. Then the Blessed One addressed the Venerable Sariputta and said, Sariputta, forgive this foolish man before his head splits open and is cut into seven pieces right here and now. Surely, Bhante, I will forgive him the moment he says, Bhante, please forgive me. Powerful scene, isn't it? Um, imagine being that person and you just uh, heard Venerable Sariputta, the person you wrongfully accused out of jealousy and all those things, um, give his whole <laughs> nine-sectioned declarations and all the monks you can't help it you're dealing with human beings uh, you know you can't help but see the other monks kind of glancing over their shoulders and looking at, uh, at this monk and saying how dare you how dare you and he has to at the end of this go back uh, to being you know back to normal business so obviously it is earth shattering and i would love to think also that it really put a dent. It really made this monk feel, you know, I really, really um, did a wrong act here and, and quickly go and, and, and bow to Lord Buddha and then ask for forgiveness for what he did. Um, so, and, and uh, in the Vinaya, you know, we have certain rules and uh, when a person approaches uh, becoming cognizant of the fact that they have had a misdemeanor, they, they acknowledge the fact that they did a, a wrong, uh, wrongful act for whatever, whatever type um, that is forgivable in a sense. 
with admission. Here, he has taken um, um, charge of his own uh, responsibility of his action and came forward and asked, is asking for forgiveness. When a bhikkhu is, is able to do that, then uh, based on the Vinaya uh, and is, is acknowledging the fact and is demonstrating um, to the remaining bhikkhus that yes, he looks like he's being genuine, uh, then for the sake of him not doing it again in the future uh, and his acknowledgement as demonstrated with his acknowledgement now, the Sangha would go ahead in this case in the body of Lord Buddha uh, being the chief uh, is forgiven. However, it is always essential for the accuser who is now proven to be uh, unjustly accusing someone. So he's in the wrong to go and ask uh, forgiveness from the individual whom he accused or she accused. And, uh, so, um, and that is where Lord Buddha comes in and, and, and says, Sariputta, forgive this idiot, you know, because if you don't forgive him, uh, his head would split open in seven pieces. And in the suttas, we see that uh, there is several instances where um, um, usually depicted as uh, Sakka, the king of the gods, who would stand in with his um, celestial trident, if you will, um, weapon. And uh, sometimes they're also seen as some form of a yakka, a, a, a different being, a powerful being who hovers over the person who uh, accused a just person, a, a, an innocent person. And, um, uh, you know, if, if, if they don't, if they don't uh, ask for forgiveness and forgiven, they will suffer the consequences. Uh, there are also instances, just a side note, where um, if the Buddha, Lord Buddha asks a person a question three times and they don't answer, guess what? Sakka shows up. We're ready to split open the person's head into seven pieces. So, but they usually give uh, the person uh, in question um, uh, an image where they do see sakka. Is like sharpening the, you know, the trident. Like okay. So just a side note because there was an incident where a fellow bhikkhu one time I forgot his name. It uh, starts with a K. Uh, wrongfully accused both the chief disciples, Venerable Maha, Mukallana, and Sariputta. And in that incident as well, Lord Buddha called them over and he was, it was actually um, jealous and he was saying that they are conspiring to take over the Sangha from Lord Buddha. Uh, so he was flat out lying and, and, um, and the Buddha later on asks him, please, you know, you just go ahead and, and uh, admit your mistake. Otherwise, you're going to suffer. And he doesn't. Um, and he, he developed boils and, and, and he dies. Um, so this is a wonderful sutta to, uh, to not just because of the Sihanada, the lion's roar part. Again, like I mentioned last week, uh, there are several suttas dealing with addressing this topic of um, the lion's roar or sihana that we have. Uh, 
um, for example, the Mahasi Hanada and the Chulasi Hanada Suttas in the Majjhima Nikaya, the middle length discourses. This is from the Anguttara Nikaya or the numerical discourses um, that demonstrate uh, the patience of Venerable um, Sariputta. And fortunately, this is not the only sutta um, that discusses that um, special quality um, that is also there as a, a benchmark, a yardstick, a, a measure for uh, other bhikkhus to follow. For example, in the uh, Dhammapada, in I believe it's verse three, 389, uh, Vagga 389 and also probably 390 where Lord Buddha says a holy person who uh, is truly holy is unable to hit anyone in anger because anger doesn't exist and even if they are stricken by someone if somebody strikes them they cannot retaliate so that Vagga uh, from the Dhammapada in the commentaries we see and read how this was about another example of Venerable Sariputta's forbearance and patience, where um, one time a group of Venerable Sariputta's students were sitting together in a square uh, and they were talking about the greatness of their teacher and how forbearing and loving and patient he is, um, and forgiving. And there was one single Brahmin an old Brahmin who was not one of their you know, followers or anything, he says, ah, hogwash. There's, there can't be such a person. I will show you uh, how your teacher is just, you know, it's just skin deep, his forbearance. I will show you how he can get angry. And they say, don't say that. You know, it's a, he's a holy man. He's, he's a chief disciple. Anyhow, they forget about the whole incident. And then it so happens that Venerable Sariputta is walking on his Pindapada through the village and this Brahmin comes from the back and slaps him in the back of Venerable Sariputta. He just with full force. And obviously he's shaken and Venerable Sariputta does not even turn around to inquire what happened. He just says, what was that? And then fixes himself and continues with his bowl. He just continues. Now, it only takes a few milliseconds for this person who just assaulted a holy person to just realize, oh no, what did I do? Apparently he is what they said he is. And he quickly runs over and, 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 and uh, gets on his knees and bows down to the Venerable Sariputta and says, please, uh, please forgive me, forgive me. And he says, for what? He says, I'm the one who hurt you. I'm the one who stri uh, struck uh, you over there from the back because I didn't think you had it in you to be that patient. No one I know is that patient. But I, don't, I didn't see a tiny little iota of anger from you. You obviously are a noble person, holy person. So please, as a, as a token of, of, of granting me pardon, I've, please come to my home for, for your meal. And Venerable Sariputta is like, okay. So he goes and 
has lunch and at the end, um, now the Buddha, uh, the Venerable Sariputta didn't have just monastic followers, he also had lay followers who also saw what happened. And now they were raging mad and they just wanted to beat the guy to death. And as Venerable Sariputta is leaving the home of this person uh, who perpetrated him, I don't know whether he was trying to protect himself or whether Venerable Sariputta was trying to uh, protect him. He gives him the bowl. And usually a lay person can take the bowl and just uh, as a matter of courtesy, follow along with, with, uh, with the bhikkhu or, uh, to their home. Now these people came in and huddled up and wanted to beat him and Venerable Sariputta intervened and he said, why, what are you doing? And they said, Venerable, he assaulted you, so we want to punish him. And he said, Who did, whom did he assault? And they say, you, Venerable. And he said, yes, it was, it was I who got assaulted, but I forgive him. So what's your qualm about? And they just are completely stunned and, and so he takes the bowl and goes to the monastery. Everybody goes to their destinations. And as it was customary, um, the monks go and report this incident to Lord Buddha. And Lord Buddha says this in a different verse in the Dhammapada Vaggas. And he says, the Holy One is like the earth, accepts whatever is thrown into it which we also saw here um, in this sutta of the Anguttara Nikaya. So um, there are many examples of Venerable Sariputta's uh, incredible um, humility. Uh, there's a sutta, the Susima Sutta from the uh, Sangyutta Nikaya, the kindred or uh, linked connected discourses. In the commentary of that particular sutta, I recall it was, uh, it says how one time Venerable Sariputta is walking in, 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 in the monastery and a young newly ordained seven-year-old novice boy turns to him and says, hey, your robe is touching the ground, the floor. It's dust. What are you doing? Lift it up. Seven-year-old. You know, when I was seven, I was just you know unbearable. Imagine a seven-year-old child speaking, actually scolding the chief disciple. And Venerable Sariputta doesn't think about status. Doesn't think about hey, I am the chief disciple, and plus I'm an adult. Who are you? He quickly um, uh, stands aside, rearranges his uh, lower robe because it was the lower robe, the under, under robe that we have. So he fixes it, lifts it up and, and rearranges it. And then he bows to the seven-year-old in Anjali, in the hands clasped in front of him in the form of venerating one's teacher. And he says, it is now in order, teacher teacher. Less than a year ago, I was in a situation where I recounted this incident to 
another person um, who happened to be in robes as well. I was in robes, they were in robes. And this individual did not believe that Venerable Sariputta could do such a thing. They thought it's, they said, it's impossible for Venerable Sariputta to have bowed down to a seven-year-old. I said, Bhante, it's in the suttas, it's in the commentaries, go ahead. I'm not making anything up. This was lived by Venerable Sariputta. So this was an invitation for me to also uh, reaffirm to myself the importance of forbearance in our lives and not to be caught up in status, etc. To this day, Venerable Sariputta's example is um, unprecedented. And as, as a bhikkhu, I can say, um, I know all of you are, 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 are lay uh, students here uh, in this platform today, but it's very easy for us to get caught up in status and especially as bhikkhus and bhikkhunis and this is a warning i guess or 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 rather precaution for us not to fall into these traps of status i'm a teacher i'm of a certain level of vassas or rains retreats i have that's how you count out seniority type of a thing but essentially it is meaningless absolutely meaningless in my own understanding to lose one's humanity and raise up the level of vassas or the uh, amount of years that one has collected under his belt. It's like tree rings, you know. Uh, the humanity has to be there first and foremost for a teacher to truly exemplify what they're teaching. And for that, we owe it to Lord Buddha and all his savakas, all his students, arahants, and all the disciples. So. I wanted to share these other side notes and, and suttas so you get a different uh, or, or a little bit fuller image of Venerable Sariputta's forbearance. Thank you for indulging me and in listening. And uh, I would like to now uh, open for any questions and comments, thoughts, critiques you might have. But please go ahead and start uh, speaking because I won't be able to uh, see often. Thanks very much for the talk, Bhante. Yeah. Um, I believe that the sutta that um, you read to us ended with uh, Venerable Sariputta requesting uh, forgiveness from the uh, monk who supposedly accused, uh, falsely accused him as well. Mm. Yes, uh, I'm sorry, were, were you done, Upatissa? Yes, yes, I'm done. Uh, some translators do add that um, section, uh, while, while others don't. And in one of the Pali uh, versions I read, it didn't have that. And um, that is the one that I actually... Uh, um, um, used in retranslating the sutta. 
so, but uh, based on other incidents from Venerable Sariputta's life, he had a, um, a tendency, um, and it was also promoted, you can say, from various different examples seen throughout the suttas of um, the person who was accused to go ahead and at the end to ask uh, once the, the, the forgiveness was given, the pardon was given to the person who came and said, I'm sorry, I, I apologize for my accusation. And the person, the bhikkhu in question would say, um, I forgive you. And um, from my side, if I have offended you, please, uh, I ask for your forgiveness. And yes, in, um, many incidents are like that, including when uh, on his deathbed, Venerable Sariputta, when he was um, in his own mother's home, whom, she, whom he had taught and, and that last night of his life, uh, uh, because of his teaching, she became a Sotapanna. So she was established in right view. Um, he says, now my, my nursing fee is, is, is given in full. Uh, Madam, you may go now. Um, and then he sees that he's, he's because he had dysentery, severe dysentery, so he was he was leaking blood in this case, uh, literally. Um, so he calls over. He asks Chunda, his his attending monk. He says, Chunda, what time is it? And he, he says, Bhante, it's it's late and it's, it's like early in the morning. He says, call the other monks because he had gone to his family home to pay his respect and to teach Dhamma to his mother, which he just did uh, successfully. Uh, and he calls over the monks and then he says uh, to them, um, he asks for their forgiveness, to your point. Um, he says, uh, if um, by any chance in any point in any of the times that we've lived together, if you've seen me do something wrong and hurtful and I've, I've, I've somewhat hurt you, I kindly ask for your forgiveness. And they say, Bhante, how could you say that? You know? So they say yes, and then, you know, because Venerable Sariputta was like a mother. And I think it's in the Majjhima Middle Neck Discourses number 141 or 145, where Lord Buddha, uh, in, in, in highlighting and in, in pointing out the significance of both chief disciples, he says, Venerable Sariputta is like the mother, and Venerable Mahamogalana is like a, the a nurse. And in, in context, in, in, in uh, the context was um, when a student came in to learn from Venerable Sariputta, he would be the perfect one to establish them in right view. Basically, they would attain the first stage, Sotapanna. So he was the person because it is the hardest out of all four. <laughs> so, um, and then uh, he would just pass them on to Venerable Mahamogalana. Okay, you take over. And he would take them straight to Arahanship in, in, in the way he taught them. So he was like a mother. And um, so 
Yes, thank you for that uh, comment, Upatissa. Any other thoughts, questions? Um, yes. Somebody else wanted to talk. So. Well, you're you're here now. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I thought that the um, thank you. Um, the explanation you gave for, for me of the Nama Rupa and it's uh, talking about the uh, you know the gateways of the body. I, I was taking some notes, but it really kind of clarified for me the you know this kind of body mind <clears throat> divide that we have, you know, more in the West. Mm. So, you know, it actually, uh, yeah, I thought it's a really very, um, <clears throat> very schematic, uh, although with, you know, feeling, but uh, very clear. And uh, uh, my question was, um, if you are not so practiced or, um, sensitive, then isn't it possible that your body and mind give you false signals sometimes or, you know, get confused? Uh, you know, you think your body is uh, warm, but actually it's cold or in, in a manner of speaking or, you know, you get mis... If, you, if you're not so practiced or sensitive, then your body and mind would... <clears throat> give you these fake, uh, you know, fake beeps and more confusion, right? Maybe that's why meditation is, and, you know, practice is <clears throat> kind of essential to distinguish because many times I can't quite, um, you know, I cannot quite uh, get it correctly mm. and make mistakes, you know. Thank you, uh, Russell, for, for the question. Um, the, there's different levels of wisdom, you know, just like there's different levels of ignorance, different levels of understanding. And yes, I agree uh, with you on, um, sometimes the information comes in, it, the mind makes it up to be something that it is not. A grosser example of this might be someone who is not hungry, but feeling depressed or sad. Um, and they wanna do something. So they reach for the refrigerator door and they start eating things. So, Meanwhile, a person who had the ability to check in with the body by asking, hey, am I really hungry? So the mindfulness that would be directed towards the body at that point would, would be saying to them categorically, no, I'm not. And actually, we ate that meal. That was a full meal less than an hour ago. But the person is not there. They're definitely not mindful and they're just going on habitual patterns of behavior. So they make something into something that it is not. 
as we uh, so the person's suffering is also you know it, it comes in different levels so they are very much uh, related with the level of understanding or lack of so uh, a person who develops in the practice can get to such a level where they might not be for all intents and purposes be you know seen as suffering but when they do see the hindrances suddenly the the level of suffering goes you know off the charts because the level of subtlety of them becoming aware of is now uh, increased has been advancing thanks to their awareness level increasing so the things that used to bother them, they don't bother them anymore. Like case in point, uh, the Venerable Sariputta. I mean, ever since I came across that, that reference of him being struck in the back by this person, I always played in the back of my mind, like, what would you do, mister? Talking to myself. Imagine somebody hitting you. Like, you know, I'm a big guy. I can take him out. All these things, you know, uh, would I like, how dare you type of a thing? Would I, would I at least, at the very least, turn around and check out who did what to me? You know, or maybe, maybe, maybe they're coming back for a second to hit me again, or harder, maybe with a, with a steel rod or something. So you see, the, the, the wisdom is not Venerable Sariputta's wisdom. where you have Venerable Sariputta, on the other hand, he's being struck. Meanwhile, his followers are like, their jaws dropped. They're like, did this just happen to our teacher? Because he didn't just walk on the streets and on his Pindapada where no, everybody ignored him. This was, you know, and he would have his own uh, row of, med, uh, of, of students following him because he was their teacher. He was their guide. He was their mother. So um, the level of, of, of tolerance goes up um, also. So, it, and it's very much connected in answer, coming back to your question, it is related to the level of wisdom that is there or is developing that will become able to distinguish between what is really pertinent and important, deserving of my attention at this moment or not. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, of course, because, uh, you know, when you are a child or an adult or an older person, your attention is usually, you know, it's different, directed toward different things. Some things you can let go, some things, you know, like a leaky body, mm. for instance, uh, usually, you know, children don't have that, but as an, an older person, you know, things, you know, things fall apart. So, you know, you do have a, your attention is focused differently. Yeah, thanks. Mm -hmm. was, was there another uh, question, comment, a raised hand somewhere? In that case, I would like to ask, uh, what, 
how did this or did it um, help you in any way the sutta that we covered today did it um, impact you influence you how would you remember this sutta etc any thoughts So Bhante, I make notes of things as, as I hear talks. And so the, the main note that I have written today is the part about those nine factors. And so, and the earth accepts all without becoming humiliated or disgusted at all by any of it. And I think that's a very poignant thing for me to remember when I go about my life and I'm observing people who are doing things that I don't like or yelling at me and telling me I'm wrong. That's the thing to be mindful of about accepting it and without um, being disgusted or humiliated in any way. That's the way to, uh, to be mindful and to stop those emotions welling up. So I, I really appreciate that point. So true, so true. It's that image, you know, uh, is so powerful. It can move people to tears. Just, you know, uh, especially that reference in the commentaries towards that's uh, um, the Dhammapada verse, actually, uh, 95, I think it was, where Lord Buddha says, um, the holy man, referring back to Venerable Sariputta, says, is like the ocean takes in everything, or like the earth, takes in everything, doesn't refuse, whether it's pus, whether it's feces, garbage, trash, or gold, diamonds, makes no difference. And these are uh, definitely uh, things to uh, inspire us when we are surrounded by individuals or situations where we are tested to the limit. And I don't know of anyone who is not tested to the limit, given the pressures that we are undergoing as, as a population, as human beings today. So yes, it's, they're inspiring. Yes. No, like, uh, like Greg, I, I also, you know, was very moved by the, uh, the metaphors of, you know, the water, the rag, the earth, and, uh, you know, accepting uh, things without a certain type of discrimination. It kind of occurred to me uh, in a funny way though, that uh, since you know the, the whole world is, for instance, uh, wearing a mask, these kind of uh, mask with the COVID. And then I could just, I mean, I think it's already happening. You could see the ocean uh, filled with, uh, billions of masks and so then I, I kind of asked myself you know uh, in this time and age when we have so much uh, you know these masks are supposed to save people yet I'm sure they will end up in the ocean and in the earth and I'm not sure how soluble they are mm -hmm. so it, it kind of made me feel a little bit weird that uh, the earth is taking the rap for, for this kind of thing and that we couldn't maybe devise 
a better way because just I have these dreams of billions of masks, you know, just covering covering the earth and the water. I mean, you could you I, when I walk on the street, you know, of course I see many discarded masks. Before it was condoms, now it's masks or both, you know. So it's just mind boggling. So, you know, I'm sure that this uh Sarapuda did not mean it in this, of course, in this particular way. It's more kind of metaphorical and moral, but I think the reality is that the earth and water may not be able to absorb everything. You know? Anyway, it's just my odd comment, but you know, but yeah, I was very, I thought this particular uh, lecture and uh, themes that were covered, it's, it really is a, covers the whole universe. I think it actually brings the micro and the macro mm -hmm. together. I mean, through, through rhetoric and through these, well, through the, you know, this call and response, mm -hmm. it really is a, you know, it's kind of like Plato or something like that, you know, or asking questions, you know, that kind of, um, you know, that, that kind of dialogue. So, you know, I, I thought it was really, um, you know. <laughs> anyway, thank you. Mm -hmm. the, the flavors that the world give us, gives us, um, and the chelations give us, the defilements, are very enticing, are, are, are very, um, you know, and they're, they're so varied, they're so like, they, they always are, there's always new ones coming in. And when we come to the Dhamma, we see that its flavors are unchanging in a sense, in their significance, in their effect on us. And there's the Dhamma has many great flavors um, that the defilements try to mimic to try to create the counterfeit versions of and one of the flavors of the Dhamma is uh, you said the word moral is sila or abstaining from things that create suffering Sila is the abstention from doing things that create, propagate more suffering. That's a huge flavor. That is a delicious flavor that the Dhamma has. The second flavor and or another flavor is Samadhi. Purifying the mind to get it to a point where you are no longer susceptible to ways of thinking that you were subject to or being uh, overtaken by old tendencies or fears, etc. As you develop a deeper and deeper states of mind to get to a deeper understanding of life, of things, like you were saying about when we were children, uh, or children have less tolerance of things, they want to cry when they don't get one, whatever they want, uh, anytime they want, and you don't give them, they're going to start crying. 
And as they grow older, that becomes a little bit less, hopefully, and less and less. And then there's another flavor of the Dhamma, which is the renunciation or nekamma. Think of it of, uh, as, as disenchantment, for example. And then, well, what is disenchantment? It's, it's, it's uh, in, the, in the previous sutta exploration we did, uh, we saw how Venerable Mahamogallana was asking for a very concise, short uh, um, description of the teaching, something that encapsulates the essence of the teaching and something that is uh, applicable, quickly taking a person to the Soma Bonum of, of, of the Dhamma, which is Nibbana. And that is when the Buddha says, not clinging to anything. That's another definition of renunciation. You don't have to shave your head or wear the robes to renounce. You can actually be much more attached to things with that kind of a lifestyle. It's just an outside thing, but renouncing nekama through the mind, through our attitude by not clinging to things. That's another delicious flavor of the Dhamma. And then there's the ultimate flavor of the Dhamma, which is the unprecedented penetration through the thick layers of ignorance or delusion, which is brought forth through insight, unsurpassable insight, unprecedented insight and wisdom, which we call it yatabhutang jnana dasana. Having the ability to see and understand how things come to be, how things really are. Which is like the litmus test of a person's own experience, whether they have experienced Nibbana or not, because there is an absolute 100% complete change, transformation in the individual. But all these things require adequate amount of work to be done it requires adequate work. You have to increase the temperature and leave the water on the stovetop uh, over fire uh, for a certain amount of time to reach a certain temperature in order for it to boil. Anything less, it won't do it. Similarly here, we need to have the adequate amount of energy put in, adequate amount of involvement and understanding in order for us to get to Magapala Nibbana, path, fruit, and Nibbana. And then uh, one last thing, if I may uh, add here, um, the Dhamma was not taught to dead people. It wasn't taught to people who were not yet born. The Dhamma was taught to beings who were alive when the Buddha or any of his disciples were teaching. So it is now the case. Hence, coming back to mindfulness directed to the body. So the Dhamma can only be taught and lived and practiced by those who are living, not dead. That's why it is relevant. That's why it is not something to be postponed. 
or dreamed about. There's a huge, sadly, huge populations of Buddhists in the world who willingly, intentionally forego the work that needs to be done now by postponing their efforts and saying, you know what, I'm just going to do good work now. And uh, by all probabilities, I'm going to be reborn in the heavenly realm. And uh, next, uh, when the next Buddha shows up, uh, that's when I'm going to show up as a human being and to learn from him. You have huge populations of Buddhists who think like this, sadly. Well, how, what makes you think that you're going to be alive then? Or not an insect? Or a person who is, even if you're a human being, but somebody who is incapable of understanding or on a different part of the planet at the time? Good luck. So let us not postpone and uh, at the same time put in the adequate amount of energy needed. Uh, just something uh, like uh, if, you, if you want to explore further the mindfulness directed to the, par, uh, to the body part, um, that portion, that series uh, rather, um, there is um, a series of, of, of um, suttas, in fact, in the Anguttara Nikaya, there's several actually, but these are specifically dedicated to the title of a mindfulness directed to the body, and they're in the hundreds, um, and they're in the Anguttara Nikaya and uh, in the Book of Ones, um, from Sutta three hundred and seventy-five, I believe, to six hundred and fifteen or sixteen, um, where the Buddha says how. Uh, the way to experience uh, Nibbana is through mindfulness of the body um, and also to experience the different levels of wisdom. And it doesn't start from Nibbana, it starts from just wholesome and unwholesome. To avoid uh, doing unwholesome things, if the person directs their attention to the body, those incidents will be less and less until they don't occur anymore. And similarly, when the person does not have enough wholesome actions being done, as they bring their attention to the body, then they cannot help but do wholesome actions, whether it's through their uh, thoughts, words, and bodies. And it, it culminates into the deathless in the end of the book of ones in the Anguttara Nikaya, um, and then starts this from 616, I believe, right after that, this following section of suttas are on the deathless, interestingly arranged. So uh, that's, I recommend, um, even though the, I say they're in the hundreds, but they're very short suttas. And unfortunately, many of the translations that I've come across, they have a lot of those ellipses, dot, dot, dots, so um, in my recording that I've done last year of these suttas, um, they're in their complete version. So you can listen to them. I go through the whole repetitions again and again, because I find it extremely helpful and beneficial for practitioners to listen to the whole thing. Because when the Buddha taught these or his Savak has taught these, 
they didn't put ellipses. Because each repetition, like today, you had discovered nine times the same things were repeated. Pretty much the same things. But they, whatever was missed in the previous paragraph might still be caught in the next one. And uh, I wouldn't want us to deprive ourselves from that opportunity. Thank you for uh, your presence and your um, participation, your questions, comments. And if there are any further comments, please don't hesitate to reach out and uh, email me or send me private messages. And I will try my best to respond soon. So let us share and dedicate the merits game today. May suffering ones be suffering free and the fear struck fearless be. May the grieving shed all grief and may all beings find health relief. May all beings share in these merits that we have thus acquired for the achievement of all kinds of wholesome happiness. May beings inhabiting space and earth, devas and nagas of mighty power share in these merits. May they long protect the Buddha's dispensation. Sad, sad, sad. Be well, and I'll see you next time. Uh, I think from the list, uh, what I recall, it, uh, it will be Anuruddha Sutta the next time. In two weeks, we'll cover Anuruddha Sutta. Uh, it is, let me see, uh, Sutta number three, uh, I'm sorry, Book of Three, uh, Book of the Threes, uh, Sutta number 130. So, um, Book of the Threes of the Anguttara Nikaya Numerical Discourses, Sutta number 130. And I will ask Dhamma to send you the link. Um, to this recording that I've done. And of, of course, you always please make use of other resources in written form of these suttas to benefit from. May you be well. May the blessings of the Triple Gem be with you. And uh, may you be safe and uh, practice with the adequate amount of energy and effort and wisdom. May you be successful. Sadhu, Sadhu.